It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors, it is a mailbag spectacular. Tons of great questions came in. We might need two episodes to get to all of them, but on today's episode, we're going to talk about Miles Turner. Is he someone maybe the Raptors should turn their attention towards to fill the apparent void in the middle of the floor? We'll also try and examine what former Raptors from different iterations of the team could fit into this year's team and look really good. We got that plus so much more coming Coming up on today's mailbag edition of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? And welcome to episode number 1218 of Locked on Raptors for Tuesday, July the 19th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors, where you can find links to every episode of the podcast. You can also follow, subscribe to, rate, review the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps for the low, low price of on the house it's very appreciated when you take the time to support the show in that way it's also free to do so in exchange for this very free podcast just provide a little support from your end and forever i will be indebted to you also uh you can go to the youtube channel and subscribe over there as well for free hit the big red subscribe button you can't miss it when you go to the locked on raptors youtube channel and thanks to all of those who have jumped in and made the leap all right, on today's show, got a lot of mailbag questions to get to. It's a really fun list of questions. Got some current Raptors questions, got some past Raptors questions, we've got some bizarre Raptors questions. It's probably going to take more than just one day to get through all of these ones, but that's perfect because it's the off-season, baby, and we have plenty of time to entertain your wonderful questions. We will get into questions about uh, the sort of guys from recent or past Raptors teams who could fit really nicely this year. That'll be on today's show. Also, a question about the Raptors fandom at large and whether the Raptors are, in fact, one of the best fan bases in the league. I think it's a fascinating question uh, that we'll get to later on. But first, I want to talk about this question that comes in from Corey Perrin, who asks, should the Raptors turn their attention to a trade for Miles Turner? What's the potential cost? Oh, Miles Turner. I love Miles Turner. Love that we get to talk about him as a trade piece forever in perpetuity. I'm imagining he's going to retire a member of the Indiana Pacers, having never been traded, despite being in trade rumors for more than a decade consecutively. He's just like that kind of guy who's in that sweet spot, who's not really good enough to move the needle for a team that's trying to rebuild. He's got a year left on his contract, I think, which, you know, that's been something that's been ticking for years, and it's always been, well, Turner's got so many years left on his deal. That's a great deal. Get some control. Not so much the case anymore. He's got one year left, and so that probably makes him more likely to get traded this season. 
Um, and you know, there's a lot to like about Miles Turner. He's a guy who in theory can shoot some threes. He's one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. He's been on some teams that have been pretty good defensively. He made it work pretty well. I think all things considered working with DeMontis Sabonis on those Pacers teams as well. And a very sort of janky, not super ideal fit. There's a lot to like there. I don't think the Raptors need to go entertain a deal for Miles Turner right now. This is something that you get to the trade deadline and the Raptors looking to make an addition. Maybe Precious Achua hasn't quite taken the leap that you were hoping to see. Maybe the bench pieces are, you know, just maybe it's surplus to requirements, having all these guys who do the same thing. And you want to try to diversify the roster a little bit. Maybe you're looking at a guy like Ken Birch and then someone like, I don't know, Thad Young or something like that to package as a combo going out to bring in a guy like Miles Turner. They would obviously have to be more cap minutiae there. I think Miles Turner makes about 20 million bucks a year. So you'd have to get there and, you know, you got tax implications and all that stuff to consider. But there's a package there. The Raptors always have a package there because that's the thing they do is they just have dudes to trade at all times because they have reasonable, easy to move contracts up and down the books. And so I think that's certainly a possibility. Maybe Chris Boucher is not happy with his role or something like that. And you look at Turner as sort of a Boucher-like replacement for the long term. You get his bird rights in. Who's to say? I happen to think Chris Boucher is going to be awesome this year, and I look forward to watching him once again. So I don't think that's the case, but I'm just throwing out hypotheticals. I don't think there's a need right now to go and try to jump on Miles Turner. I, I just, the team feels pretty set to me, and we're going to get to a question about this as well, about how the minutes are going to be dispersed and how things are going to sort of align in the rotation. I just don't see where Miles Turner is getting minutes right now if you go and trade for him. And I guess the bigger question is Turner will get minutes because he's Miles Turner, but who's he taking minutes away from? And is it Precious Achua, who I don't think you should be taking minutes from under any circumstances coming into this season because you want to see what you have in Precious Achua guy I'm super high on. His defense is just such an incredibly high floor because he can guard everybody in the NBA, more or less. Like, he's really, really good, and the offensive steps he took in the back part of last season are so intriguing that I'm fully on the 30 minutes of Precious Achua bandwagon. And I think Miles Turner is the kind of guy who's not quite that difference maker that, say, a DeAndre Ayton or even a Rudy Gobert would have been had they been guys the Raptors decided to target. Those guys are sort of couple tiers above, I think, Miles Turner in terms of affecting winning and just adding talent to the Raptors group of guys. I don't think Turner's quite there, and so he's in that weird spot where you bring him in, he probably deserves minutes over a precious Achua, but why would the Raptors be incentivized to do that, especially for a guy who's got one year left on his deal? Maybe they want to keep him around. He's still young, all of that, but I feel like they're pretty invested in what Precious is going to be, and Miles Turner muddies the waters there. He's too good to be like a 10-15 to 15 minute backup to Precious, which I think is kind of the ideal version of a center you'd look for. And if you're coming up to the deadline and you're looking at different options, I just don't think Turner is... Um, you know, right now, a guy who I'm too too keen on, but maybe something happens. Maybe there's an injury. Like I said, maybe Precious is not what we thought he would be this coming season. You need to address that spot. The Raptors will have the tools at their disposal to go and try to get a Miles Turner if they want to. Although a bigger, sort of more interesting deadline acquisition target I have my eyes on is Jakob Pertl in the event that things uh, you know, continue to spiral down there in San Antonio. I believe he has just one year left on his contract as well, and so he could be a pretty premium rental. And, you know, he's not someone who's going to command 30 minutes a game to take time away from Precious Achua. And the fact that he's a bad free throw shooter, a horrible free throw shooter, one of the worst free throw shooters on the planet who plays professional organized basketball, 
that I think would preclude him from getting 30 minutes a game anyway, playing in close games down the stretch. And so you just have Jakob Pertl's unbelievable next world defense to, you know, fill in the gaps when you have guys on the bench. So Turner's interesting, but he's never really been a guy who I'm just like, you got to go get him. I know some folks would be like, trade OG for Miles Turner. I don't think you're doing that. What OG does in terms of his multi-positional defense, he's far more multi-positional than Miles Turner is. He's a better three-point shooter by a pretty significant margin. He's got more off-the-bounce juice, even though obviously he's not a perfect player in that regard. I would not do an OG for Miles Turner swap. Maybe you get to the deadline and it's looking like Gary Trent Jr. is not going to be a guy you can re-sign. Maybe that's a move you want to make. Maybe you see someone pop. Maybe Malachi Flynn comes around and is like a, a reasonable rotation piece for you maybe you realize that Delano Banton is a point guard who can sort of take on some of the ball handling duties maybe other guys on the roster become better three-point shooters or have bounce back seasons and then you're not looking at Gary Trent Jr.'s three-point shooting as this massive pillar of the offense and maybe that's a move you make at the deadline a Trent for, for Turner swap a couple of expiring guys and it just sort of reorganizes things for both teams but I really don't think that's terribly likely. It feels like the time for Turner is kind of past, and if the Raptors are going to go and get themselves a big man, it's going to be a big man, like a re really sort of game-changing style dude, and there's just not that many guys out there who fit that mold, and so I think they're going to be happy to ride with Precious and not muddy things up by adding another center who's going to command minutes, take away minutes from other guys in the front court. It just doesn't seem like the time or place for a Miles Turner trade for the Raptors, and I think that's totally fine. Turner is a totally acceptable player, but there's also a reason why the Pacers have been trying to trade this guy for years. He's not a perfect player who is, you know, going to sort of be a guy you can build your franchise around. And I think that's probably to be uh, noticed if you are thinking about a trade for Miles Turner. It's just there's a reason maybe that he's not super wanted by the team he's been on for five or six years already. Really good question, though, from Corey. No, I haven't really thought about it. I've had too much Kevin Durant on the brain, so it's nice to have a different player out there to think about a trade for. So great question. We'll get into some more questions on how the rotation's going to be assembled, how things are going to line up for the Raptors when it comes to, you know, who's playing which positions, who's soaking up minutes at which spot. We've also got uh, some fun questions, including one a blast from the past question from one of our better question askers who's always got good stuff. That one will come up very shortly as well on today's show. But first, one to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar who make the best tasting protein bars money can buy and they have joined the marshmallow puff game in recent months as well and they're doing it pretty darn well. I am not a person who likes marshmallow typically. I find it a little bit too sweet and rich for me but the coconut brownie chunk puff and all the other puffs they have over at Built Bar do a great job of making it seem like you're being indulgent without it being sickly and sickening and overwrought with sweetness and sugar. And you also know you're not getting all the bad stuff. You're getting collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. You can eat something that tastes good and is good for you. And the best part about Built Puffs is, of course, they taste wonderful, but you can also enjoy them guilt-free because they're actually good for you. They're the perfect treat, perfect for when you got a craving, when you need to power a workout, you've just gotten back from a workout and don't want to ruin all your good work by ordering fast food like I just might later on today. You just need a quickie, quick and healthy snack and the Built Bar Coconut Brownie Chunk Puff is there for you. Go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, to get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Go get yourself some puffs. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. 
Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's continue on here and dig into, I think, a really good question regarding how the team is going to be assembled next season and where minutes are going to come from where minutes are are, are going to be dispersed this one comes from andrew moulton asking based on the current roster who's getting minutes at what positions what about the guard depth are you confident with the current roster makeup i am i i am pretty bullish on this team going into next season and i know i tend to sort of err on the positive side of things more often than not on this podcast when it comes to like team predictions and things like that but i think this team has the goods to be very good and to kind of get off to a really good start as well i've mentioned the stat john schumann from nba.com you know he does his annual continuity rankings and as it stands right now assuming no kevin durant trade the raptors are in line to have the most continuity in terms of the minutes played last season by the guys who played them carrying over and having the same guys play the big minutes this season that is enormous last year's raptors team took some time to get rolling because it was so new it was brand new for a lot of these guys scotty barnes coming in trying to fly find his slot within the team pascal siakam missing the first 10 games returning and kind of throwing everything into flux og ananobi in and out of the lineup gary Trent jr getting his feet wet as sort of a, a, a higher level option for the team it was a really difficult year to sort of manage the chemistry side of the on-court product, and I don't think that's going to be as much of a concern. This team knows exactly what it wants to be, and sure, there will be times where the defense gets a little overzealous and they cause themselves some trouble that way. It won't be perfect because that's sort of the, 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 the tightrope this team walks and that it's not always going to be perfect. Sometimes you can have all the chemistry in the world, but uh, overzealous, you know, jump at a passing lane here or whatever it might be leads to scores, and maybe you have a full game where that doesn't go super well and you lose the game as a result. It's kind of part of the deal with this Raptors team. But I think for me, the top nine, I'm, and I've talked about this already, I'm really bullish on how that top nine can win you games in a regular season. We'll see in the postseason. I think the postseason equity and the ability to win playoff series is very much going to hinge on is Scotty Barnes taking a leap forward? Do, are they going to be healthy and have Fred Van Vliet available and fully healthy once you get to the postseason? Will OG stay healthy? Will Pascal maybe add a little bit in terms of three-point pop to his game to complement an already incredible all-NBA-level package? That stuff will help inform what they can do in the playoffs, but in the regular season, the formula typically is... Are you deep enough to withstand some injuries? And do you play a style that is annoying to play against that most teams are not going to be ready to deal with on a random night in the middle of December? And I think those two boxes are checked. And I think the Raptors are going to go and win a whole lot of games. If I had to predict right now, I think I might pick them to be a top four team in the Eastern Conference. And that's tough because the top four is very good. Philly's going to be amazing. It bums me out that they're going to be so good. But the Anthony Melton ad, Daniel House, P.J. Tucker, James Harden taking less money. Like, I am scared of the Sixers, and I'm not afraid to admit it. The Celtics are going to be amazing. The Bucks are going to be amazing. After that, 
I start to question, is Miami going to do it again? Are they going to have the the juice, the the depth, the guys to carry through a full season after losing P.J. Tucker? You know, they don't have a ton of sort of two-way guys so you can always roll out there. This has been their conundrum for a while is their best offensive lineups features guy, feature guys who stink at defense. Their best defensive lineups features guys who aren't so good at offense. And... I think that is maybe a recipe for them not winning a ton of games in the regular season next year. If they're older, they probably have to sort of take it easy in the regular season, maybe learn from, yes, they went balls to the wall, were the one seed in the East, but by the time the playoffs came around, they were totally busted. And maybe they kind of take a step back in terms of regular season push and energy they put into it, and they're preserving themselves for the postseason where it really matters, where they kind of only have one last shot at this with Kyle Lowry at the age he is, Jimmy Butler's not getting any younger, you know, there's a lot going on with that Heat team that I could see them kind of regressing a bit in the regular season. I'm sure the Hawks will win a lot of games. I'm sure these teams are going to rattle off some wins, but this Raptors team really seems to have the build of a team that goes and wins a lot of regular season games. I'd probably predict more north of 50 wins, probably like 53 or something like that would be my original guess right now. I know the Vegas over-unders are at like 44 and a half, but they're notoriously low. If you scale it up by 10, you typically kind of hit the Raptors' sweet spot, which uh, I think they totally have the juice to hit, and that's even if they don't get a ton of internal development. Like, this was a team that won at the second-best rate of any team in the Eastern Conference last year after January 1st behind the Celtics, and this was, you know, with last year's versions of Scotty Barnes and Precious Achua and an injured Fred Van Vliet. I really think, altogether, this crew is going to be a team that wins a ton of games in the regular season, and so I'm pretty happy with the, with the makeup. As far as where it's all going to be distributed... I think, you know, my dream situation is at least 30 minutes a night at center for Precious Achua. You fill in the rest of those minutes with Chris Boucher off the bench, uh, and then a little bit of, you know, Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam going small if you want to run your lineup that has Gary Trent Jr. out there. Again, I I, I don't know if they're actually going to do what I want and move Trent to the bench in lieu of starting Precious Achua, but even if you're bringing Precious off the bench, I think he has to be playing close to 30 minutes. He's just that good defensively, and you have to see what you have in him. He's still a guy you're still in this phase as a team where you're not pedal to the metal to win a championship right now you're trying to still figure out what you have and if you can give precious 30 minutes night at center that's sort of job number one i would assume pascal and scotty will kind of soak up the minutes at the four actually let me rephrase that pascal will soak up the minutes at the four maybe og will a little bit as well you know boucher will off the bench thad will off the bench that's all kind of amorphous and kind of doing the typical sliders you would you'd maybe do when you're sort of building your 2k rotation it doesn't really apply here because guys are going to play across multiple positions like maybe you pencil in siakam for like 26 minutes as a power forward quote unquote but if he's playing 36 minutes a game, I would imagine the other 10 minutes of that are coming as like the point guard of the team, quote unquote. Again, it's all sort of amorphous positions are made up and fake. They're all a construct. Um, you know, I think I'd like to see Scotty Barnes get some run at point guard as well. And I think this is kind of the key battleground in terms of how minutes are going to be distributed is what do you t- sort of what's your default position for Fred Van Vliet? I would assume he'll be listed as the point guard. He's six feet tall, all of that. But in practice... The kind of dream lineup for me is Fred is more of a two guard. You have Pascal and Scotty kind of taking up the mantle of most of the playmaking when they're on the floor with Fred. Fred will obviously run possessions as well because no one just runs all the possessions and it would be stupid to do that when you have as many guys who can run a possession as the Raptors figure to have, at least in their starting five. And so ideally, 
Fred VanVleet is sort of your two guard who's working off ball. You move Gary Trent to the bench. He plays 25 or so minutes a game. You bring Fred's load in terms of just possession by possession down by not making him be on, on the ball at the time. You bring his minutes total down, ideally, because you can fill in those point guard minutes with Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam and still backfill the three and the four with guys like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Thad Young, Otto Porter. Like, all these guys can kind of fill in across two, three, four, wherever you want. You'll have some small ball five in there, I'm sure, with a Scotty or a Thad Young. Um, but like how they distribute the point guard minutes, I think, is going to be really fascinating to me. And sort of like what the basketball reference breakdown is of, all right, this guy played this many minutes at this spot. This guy played this many minutes at this spot. That, I think, is going to be a thing to watch throughout the season. Those are kind of imperfect breakdowns. They're not always going to capture exactly what's happening on the floor. They're often measured by height and all that. But I think in practice, the dream sort of scenario for how this is all going to happen is Fred is your point guard you know, enlisting only, but is actually kind of more your two guard and you have Pascal, Scotty, and, you know, maybe some other, like Thad Young kind of working in those playmaking, uh, those playmaking reps as well. It, it's a fascinating team. I don't think you can view it the same way you would a typical basketball team because it is so versatile and the multi-positionality is sort, sort of like the whole thing about the team. So trying to pencil each guy into how many of the minutes they're going to get in one little silo doesn't seem like really the right way to talk about this team, but it's also the way we've talked about basketball for 50 years. And so I totally understand the compulsion to want to try to make it black and white. This guy plays this many minutes here. This guy plays this many minutes here. And then you make it so clean uh, like you like to do with your 2K rotation. But I just don't think this team, it, it defies the whole 2K slider for minutes thing in a, in a way that I don't think really any team has ever done before, which is kind of fun and cool. Um, great question from Andrew, though. We got a couple more questions we're going to get to on the other side of the break. And then uh, all the other questions that we're not going to get to, I will do on tomorrow's podcast because it just seems like we're going to have to go ahead and do a two-part podcast with this. And that's totally fine. Uh, before we get to your final questions, again, some uh, throwing it back to some previous Raptors teams and where, you know, guys from ver previous versions might slot into this year's Raptors. We'll get to that. Plus a question about Raptors fandom in general from uh, a listener who I think is kind of posing a pretty interesting question. We'll get to that in just one second here. But first, just want to tell you about our friends over at Locked on NBA every single day covering the NBA Monday through Friday, a new rotating set of hosts jumping on for your daily breakdowns of Summer League, off-season rumors, Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Durant, everything is covered for you over on Locked at NBA from a national perspective, and I am very often sending them my takes and propaganda so it can be used on the podcast over there, so go and check it out. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right. Let's close this out. We're going to do a couple more mailbag questions here to wrap up this first part of two mailbags this week that we'll get to. Also, I want to note, 
on the topic of mailbags. In August, I will be going away from my honeymoon, and I'll be pre-recording a bunch of episodes in the next couple of weeks to have roll while I'm away. One of those will be a three-part mailbag that will run over the course of the full week with Katie Heindel. We're recording that this Friday. Please send in your questions. I'm going to do a little prompt in the community tab on the YouTube channel, and also you can send it to me on Twitter. I'll put out a prompt for that as well. But as many questions as we can get for that as possible would be great. So we can do a little mega mailbag and hopefully have it be pretty evergreen in August when I am not around to post fresh new daily episodes. But that is just some housekeeping to keep you abreast of. All right. Let's get to this next question here. This is a fun one. It comes from B-Ball Thinking. Which one player would you choose from three past pre-Messi teams who would make the biggest difference on the 22-23 Raptors, but you can't take the best player? The eras are 1996-97, no Damon Stoudemire. 2000-2001, no Vince Carter. And 2006-07, no Chris Bosh. Player chosen as who they were that year. Very specific question but I like specific questions. This is an awesome one. I've done my perusing, and I think I've figured out what my answers are here. For 1996-97, I think this is clear. This is the guy who I always think of like, wow, imagine this guy was on any other version of the Raptors. Imagine he was on the Bosch teams. Imagine he was on the Damar and Kyle teams, kind of maybe in the Damari Kara role. Imagine he was on this team as a backup two-guard. Like, it would be awesome. The answer is Doug Christie, former guest of this podcast, Doug Christie, uh, who is really, really, I think, underappreciated. He was so good. And in this, uh, I'm just pulling up this basketball reference here on my laptops, which is why, if you're watching, I'm looking way off screen because um, I have a different screen going. But the 20 or 1996-97 season for Doug Christie, played 81 games, started all 81, played 39 minutes a game. Nick Nurse would love him. 14.5 points, 5.3 assists. Four, sorry, 5.3 rebound, 5.3 rebounds, four assists, 2.5 steals, and half a block a game. Shot 38.4% from three on 4.7 attempts. Very good for the mid-1990s. Doug Christie would be awesome on this Raptors team. He would fit the defense. He would be long and limber. He's like 6'6", would fit the vision, and just, you know, I, man, what a perfect player he would be to drop into this team. The four assists a game is pretty sneaky as well. Nice little secondary playmaker, could put the ball on the deck. You put him with the second unit, you put him with Thad Young and Chris Boucher and whomever you want running point, you get that spacing out there. Doug Christie would be a monster. And so I should also say, the way I'm framing this question in my mind is they're essentially replacing three players on the current roster. So I'm sorry, Sfima, Luke, Armani Brooks, DJ Wilson, Malachi Flynn, back-end roster guys. You're getting replaced by 1996-97 Doug Christie. In one case, he would be awesome. Really, really think he'd be perfect. The next guy I'm adding to this team comes from 2000-2001, and this is a weird team, man. The Raptors this year had two guys average double figures. It was Vince Carter at 27.6, then Antonio Davis at 13.7. After that, they had five players, six players, seven players average between 8.5 and, and 9.8 points. A couple guys didn't play in all the games, but uh, you had Charles Oakley, uh, 9.6, Alvin Williams, 9.8, Mo Pete and Corliss Williamson, 9.3. Uh, you had Keon Clark, 9 points, Kevin Willis, 8.8, Mark Jackson, 8.5. Weird team. It was a pretty good team. My pick here is Keon Clark. I loved Keon Clark. He was so good. He had the 12-block game, of course. He was, I think, the exact type of center I was talking about off the top. 
Miles Turner is too good to be the backup center for this Raptors team. Keon Clark in 15 minutes a game for this Raptors team, spelling Precious Achua, flying around, blocking shots, being the backline of defense for the incredibly rangy and over-aggressive Raptors defense. You know how much more aggressive they could be knowing that Keon Clark was waiting back there to just swat everything away? He was awesome. One of my favorite Raptors to watch of all time. Really sad the way things went for him, um, you know, with uh, alcohol addiction and things like that. And went to prison for a little while for, I think, a weapons charge. Um, You know, hopefully it seems as though he's kind of moved on and is doing better in his, you know, post-career life and post-prison life. Uh, You know, wish all the best for Keon Clark. He was uh, really, really fantastic uh, in his short time with the team. And I think would be a perfect fit on this here Raptors team. Uh, and then the last guy, 2006-2007, this is a slim picking situation after Chris Bosh. I would maybe say Anthony Parker, but again, we're sort of building the roster as it exists. So Doug Christie's already on this team from 1996-97. little overlapping skills there. Anthony Parker might be surplus to requirements. That might be one too many six foot seven wing who shoots threes and plays defense. Um, for me, I'm going Jose Calderon for this one. He... Played 77 games, started just 11, and this was not peak Jose where he was sort of like fringe all-star type, but he was still really good, averaged 8.7 a game, 5 assists, nearly 2 boards, shot 33% from 3 on just 1 attempt, which is I guess not what you want, but I think as like a backup guard to play 10 minutes a game in like the Malachi Flynn role behind Fred Van Vliet... I think that would help uh, limit Fred Van Vliet from getting busted and broken down into dust and would give... Jose Calderon, his first real shot of a regular NBA run. Uh, <laughs> I guess if we're moving him from that year to this year, that's how, I don't know. Leave me alone. I don't really know how this all works time-wise. My brain hurts. But either way, Jose Calderon, not yet at peak, but also still pretty darn good as like a, a secondary point guard running the offense, was the backup to TJ Ford on that team. I think Jose Calderon would be a really fun addition. You wouldn't have to play him in the postseason or anything like that. You wouldn't have to worry about his defense or him throwing balls away, trying to find Chris Bosh in game six against the Nets. Um, I'm sad. Uh, <laughs> but you would have, uh, I think, a pretty reliable capable backup who was a very cool dude who makes hams what do you not want about that uh so those are my answers doug christie 96 97 uh 2000 2001 keon clark and then jose calderon joining the raptors back end of the roster as guys like i guess 10 through 12 or something like that really good question last question here comes from david st bernard asking is it true that raptors fans are considered one of the better fan bases in the league or are we just caught in our own internet bubble is there someone out there who would have a good objective handle on a cue like that Look, probably not. Uh, The thing about fandom is that it's insane in its core, and that's the best part of it, is that it makes no sense, and that it's irrational and silly, and that is why we like it. Um, It's nice to have irrational, silly things to rally around, and to have a group thing to be sad about, or happy about, or whatever you want. I think Raptors fans are very good. They are obviously very loud, and very devoted, and I honestly think the sort of lesser vibes we've seen in the Scotiabank arena the last couple years are not in any way due to like the fandom not being great. It's entirely due to uh, price gouging and making it so it's not attainable for most regular Raptors fans to go to a Raptors game. It's ridiculous. And it's something I think the team really needs to look at. I I don't know how you curb it because capitalism is what it is and it's going to continue the wheel of moving forward and making things more and more unattainable and and expensive for people. But like, you gotta try to find a middle ground here where it's not 200 bucks for an upper bowl seat for a Wednesday night game against the Hornets. It's ridiculous. And so 
that's kind of my big concern about the fan base is that they're not actually getting the chance to be the fans that are front facing in the arena. And that maybe sort of drives down the overall impression of the fan base. You know, the, oh, they're not there at the start of tip off and all that. I mean, there's, you know, infrastructural problems within the Toronto transit system that you could probably blame for that as well. Um, But yeah, I I think a big part of it is that the, the real heads are not really getting to go to games and I think, like, the real sort of example of how damn good Raptors fans are is, is, is the parade. Three million people or whatever it was came out for that thing. All leading through the finals. You had the, you know, the Jurassic Parks popping up across the country. It's very obviously a rabid, loud, incredible fan base. A little obnoxious online sometimes? Yes, but that's why we love it. And all fan bases are obnoxious online. And, like, in terms of sort of, like, grading the worst fan bases or whatever, I've never really liked doing that because... Every fan base at its worst is is the worst fan base. Like fan bases have dark underbellies, and that's just what everybody has to deal with. That's the reality across the board. But I think in general, Raptors fans are pretty awesome. They're pretty educated. They're pretty well informed. And I, I think another sort of proof of how good Raptors fans are is that the Raptors like podcast blog scene is probably unmatched across you know maybe the Knicks kind of have you beat there but there's just so many bloody Knicks fans but I think it does speak to how good and how well-informed Raptors fans are that hey maybe they don't get the right coverage that they want from the national outlets maybe they don't get it even on the Canadian national outlets because hockey's so big in, in the sort of you know the nation's consciousness even though you know that that's got its own <laughs> issues to it but I think just the way that the sort of online coverage game of the Raptors has emerged and become so strong that to me suggests Raptors fans are awesome and that they're seeking this stuff out because they love the team and so look I'm not here to judge who are the best fan bases um you know I think everyone has again every fan base on its worst day is the worst fan base you've ever seen every fan base on its best day is the best fan base you would never have said the Minnesota Timberwolves have a great fan base until you saw them in the postseason this year and their fans were incredible and so there's a lot of nuance to it. I don't think it's ever a black and white thing, unless you're Celtics fans. Celtics fans are the worst. With that, we're going to round out the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for sending in your questions. We'll have more mailbag questions answered for you tomorrow on the show. We'll talk about guys needing to take leaps this coming season and a whole bunch more. Thanks to everyone who sent in the questions. Thanks for listening. Please support the podcast by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps for free. It takes no time at all to go and subscribe on YouTube or on the different apps. Leave a rating, leave a review. Uh, It's much appreciated when you take that time. Uh, Also, be sure to make your second listen of the day. Locked on Blue Jays. It's an all-star break. They're setting things up for the second half of the year. Maybe things are turning around after firing Charlie Montoyo. The deadline's coming up soon. You're going to want to be filled in completely on Locked On Blue Jays. So go and check that show out with uh, Ben Shulman and Matt Bonaparte. Ben Shulman, son of Dan, if you are a uh, Blue Jays fan. It's a pretty cool voice to have on the team. He's also called called some radio games for the team this year as well. So go listen to Locked On Jays. With that, we'll round it up. We'll talk to you Wednesday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.